Hello and welcome to Wineskins, a program that features the lives of the saints and reflections on the Sunday readings, along with information on a variety of topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Jim Corda. Our program is brought to you through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our interview segment today, it will feature Katie Wagner. We will also get a glimpse into the life and times of St. Martin I, along with reflections on the readings for this Easter Sunday, Resurrection of the Lord, that and more on Wineskins. In our Life Issue segment, Father Jack Lavelle will talk about death and grief. Within the Catholic Church, there are a variety of topics that we deal with as we look at the total life ethic. One of those that oftentimes is overlooked is how do we deal with death and grief? First, it's important to understand the depth and rich viewpoint that the Catholic Church offers us when it comes to our own suffering. Most of us have heard the phrase, offered up. As a cradle Catholic, we sometimes hear this to the point of wanting to tune it out, but it has merit and deserves further exploration. When we say offered up, we mean that suffering has value. It has purpose and meaning. God does not waste anything, and He wants us to hand our suffering to Him in union with His cross, so that we might be purified by trials and tribulations. We can also offer up our pain and struggles in reparation for our sins or for others who are suffering from something similar. For example, if you were recently diagnosed with cancer, you can offer up your suffering from chemo, the fear related to dying, or leaving your children and spouse behind for others who are going through similar cancer treatments. Even so, this isn't easy to do. We can turn to Scripture and discover the gift we have in the crosses Jesus permits us to undergo. It doesn't mean God wills for suffering, because that is never what is part of His divine plan. But He permitted His only Son to suffer the worst possible torment for the good of all salvation. And we are called to participate in that salvific mission of Jesus and the church, which he has entrusted to us. We hear in Matthew, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his very life? Or what can one give in exchange for his life? Grief is often the means by which God permits us to grow in our interior lives and to draw nearer to Jesus and the sufferings he endured out of love for us. When we learn to surrender our anguish to the God of love, despite the reality that we do not have answers to our painful questions nor resolutions of the what-ifs in our lives, we begin to live the Christian call to sacrificial love. And then Jesus transforms our suffering into love. In writing From Grief to Grace, the Catholic writer Jeannie Ewing was inspired by the Holy Spirit to share some spiritual principles that have helped her navigate her own experience of loss and grief that speak to us in our current lives. One is a humility of heart. This is the foundation of all other principles because it requires us to move from self-pity, the woe-is-me attitude, toward a focus on God. It requires vulnerability allowing God to tear down our emotional barricades and being transparent to others. Another is an abandonment to the divine providence. 
We build upon the first principle of humility because our hearts need to be receptive by way of humility. Pride closes and hardens our hearts. This receptivity allows us to move to a place in which we long to please God, even in the midst of mystery. A person who is ready to enter into the principle has a heart and mind that is open, ready, and willing to hand over his or her wants and needs to God's hands without needless worry or concern. Another is a sense of holy indifference. Based on the Ignatian concept that if the soul is attached or inclined to a thing inordinately, that person should move himself, putting forth all his strength, to come to the contrary of what he is wrongly drawn to. It is not apathy or indifference. It does not mean we no longer care about our circumstances. Only what we surrender in our needs, cares, and concerns without expecting a specific outcome to our prayer. It is related to a sense of holy detachment. The fourth principle is the dark night of the soul, that holy darkness. It focuses on the fidelity of God in the face of self-emptiness. It acquires through time, temptations, trials, and tribulations a feeling as if God has forsaken or abandoned us, feeling spiritually dry or alone. And yet, we must strive in that state of grace to remain close to the sacraments, Eucharist and Confirmation specifically. Then the emptiness and loneliness we feel will be removed from us. Another is confidence in God's timing. Thank God ahead of time for whatever He sees is best for us. Courage is half the battle. Confidence in God is the soul of prayer. Foster that latter for we have both. When we thank God for our own pain and sorrow, as well as our joys and celebrations, we make everything a holy gift that He, in turn, molds us into the faucet of healing, strength, and peace. And finally, she speaks of the wound of the heart. This is a mystical concept based on St. Therese of Lisieux's spirituality, I offer myself as a victim of Holocaust for your merciful love. This principle teaches us well how to suffer. For when we pray without expectation of a certain outcome, and when we thank God for all He is doing and will be doing in our lives, then we will accept that our pain may not be taken from us. Instead, it will be transformed into pure love. Ultimately, grief can lead us to a greater compassion and empathy for the suffering of others. We become more attuned to the burdens that others carry, and we in turn, Accompany them in an authentic and genuinely loving way. Suffering and loss do not define us. They teach us how to love in a deeper and more meaningful way. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jack Lavelle. St. Martin I was a pope and martyr. To tell us more is Sister Eva Coulter. She is an oblate sister of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Born in Umbria, Italy, he became Pope in 649. After serving in Constantinople, shortly after his election as Pope, he called a council at the Lateran in Rome in order to condemn the heretics who denied Christ had a human will. Because of his opposition to the Emperor Constance II, he was thrown in prison and though seriously ill, was later exiled to the Crimea. The Emperor had actually condemned Pope Martin to death but his life was spared through the intervention of Paul the Patriarch of Constantinople. Since he had been condemned to death, 
and spent the last few years of his life in such misery and want. He is venerated as a martyr. He is in fact the last pope to be honored as a martyr. In the opening prayer of the Mass, we ask that through our faith, God will give us the courage to endure whatever sufferings the world may inflict upon us. In the Office of Readings, there is an excerpt from several of the letters written by St. Martin to a friend in Constantinople. The Pope groans under the weight of his affliction, to the point of saying, Behold, we are deprived of our very life. He then adds, God wishes all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth through the prayers of Peter. Hence I pray that God will strengthen their hearts in the Orthodox faith, help them to stand firm against every heretic and enemy of the Church, and guard them unshaken. The people of Crimea were pagans, and the Christians who lived there had taken on pagan ways. St. Martin says, Indeed, I have been amazed and continue to be amazed at the lack of perception and the callousness of those who were once connected with me, both my friends and my relatives. They have all completely forgotten about my unhappy state and do not know where I am, whether I am alive or dead. This constituted the moral martyrdom suffered by Pope Martin I, and it is still relevant in some parts of the world today. The example of a steadfast courage can be an inspiration to all. For Wineskins, I'm Sister Eva Marie of the Oblate Sisters of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Joining me today is Katie Wagner, who is the Editor-in-Chief of the Catholic Echo and also Associate Director of Communications for the Diocese of Youngstown. Welcome to Wineskin. Thank you for having me, Father Corda. You know, Katie, it's a pleasure, first of all, to have you on the show, and second of all, to learn more about this wonderful venture called the Catholic Echo website. Not necessarily the diocesan website, and we'll kind of differentiate the two of them, but we're going to focus on the Catholic Echo website. First, let's talk about what that Catholic echo all means, and how did you come to that? I would say it was around last summer when the communications department was first formed. We all started having meetings about what are these projects going to be moving forward? We started talking about how we were going to revitalize the print product. And as part of that, we knew that we'd be launching a new website. I think at the time we were thinking that the website would just sort of be the digital platform associated with the print product. But then as we got to talking as a department, you know, we have all these different people with different specialties in the department. We have social media, we have, you know, we have video, obviously, we have podcasts and radio. You know, we have all these different types of media that the department's responsible for. And we realized maybe this website should be something that encompasses all of it and showcases all of it. So basically, we started approaching it. We've been calling it internally a media website, just because it is sort of all of the media that's produced by the diocesan communications department. And as we started talking about what the print product would be, which is the Catholic Echo, and that's something that, you know, we were sort of researching separately and working with the bishop on and having small little focus groups and stuff. We landed on the name, the Echo, and we said, well, that's a pretty cool name, and maybe that can be the name of our whole media arm. So that's sort of how we landed on that. Let's talk now about what exactly is involved and what makes up the Catholic Echo website. What can people find on there, and how do they get to it? 
Certainly. So it is catholicecho.org, and you can get to it also from the diocesan website. We have some interlinking between the two sites. They're actually considered sister websites. But you can find news, and that's, you know, obviously what we were going for when we first approached this project, but you'll be able to find news. And so these are the sorts of things that would have been in the exponent event coverage, information on events that are coming up. We have a very comprehensive calendar on it. You can sort by category, you can sort by county, and then you can find some of the other media that we were talking about. You can find videos. Wineskins has been listed as a podcast, so that's on there. And I know that we're talking about starting a new podcast as well. So it's pretty neat. And when we started approaching the design of the website, we said, you know, we looked at all these other websites and not just Catholic websites, but other news websites. And we said, what do we want this to look like? What do we want it to feel like? And, you know, we had this big, long brainstorming session and we were sitting there and I mean, there were some things that we liked about some of the sites. And then at the end of it, I think we all realized, like, we were thinking about Netflix, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so when you sign on to the website, you'll see the homepage is sort of laid out that way. You've got the scrolling categories. So usually there's a, you know, what's trending. These are the things that people are reading. We have latest. These were the things that were posted most recently. And that can be either news or videos or podcasts. But then we have topics. So we have a topic for Easter around Lent. We had a topic for Lent. It's pretty neat. People should be able to find what they're looking for in various different ways on the site. Let's talk about some of the people that you'd like to reach. Obviously, you like to reach everybody. Yes. And this is not just for the Catholic community, but for broader community as well, mm -hmm. the broader faith community. So who and why do you want to reach out to so many different people? Really, the primary goal of the communications department, I suppose, in addition to communicating the messages that need to go out, is evangelization. So we're hoping that we will be offering a wide range of different types of media and content that appeals to people no matter where they are on their faith journey so that we can really you know, engage with folks where they are. Let's say that there are folks that are kind of new to searching the internet or using their smartphones or their uh, laptop or their computer at home. What advice can you give them to assuage some of the like angst about going and using this to learn more information? I think that some of the thought that we put into the design makes it a little bit easier to interact with than perhaps other websites. You know, especially the way we've sorted the categories. We have very easily identifiable navigations throughout the website. And also it's mobile adaptive. So if someone just has a tablet, if someone has their smartphone, or if they're on their desktop, you should be getting the same experience. But also we are going to be having the print product that will be hitting people's mailboxes soon. And that's another way that they should be able to consume some of the media we're producing. I'd like to kind of shift focus and talk more about you. What brought you to this job here at the diocese and why are you so excited about doing what you're doing in communication? Well, this 
is a very exciting project. So I'd like to start there. It's not very often that you come into something and you're basically given the opportunity to build something from scratch. And obviously the whole communications department is very, very involved in this, but this is a very, very exciting time. So I am from the Pittsburgh area. I went to Mercyhurst University for college and then moved to Pittsburgh. After that, I worked for a brief period of time in marketing at a theater company and then continued working for a marketing firm for many years on a freelance basis. But I also was working at Mount Lebanon Magazine in Pittsburgh. So I spent about seven years there. I started as a writer and then wound up being a senior editor and and really helping them with their website. So when I learned about this job, it really just seemed like such a good fit because, you know, I am Catholic. I was involved in my parish. I'm a cantor too. So I, I sang and I just love the church and it just really seemed very exciting. It was a little scary (laughs) Um, because there was a lot involved in this job, but I am just having such a wonderful time. And I will say, you know, my whole career has been sort of in the secular world, and I wasn't sure what it was going to be like actually working for the church, but it has been wonderful. There have been several times now where I'll send out an email to a large group of people saying, hey, you know, I need your information for a story or whatever. And sure, I'll get people responding to the email with the information, but then half of the responses are, hey, we haven't met yet. Welcome. Congratulations. (laughs) You know, and that's really cool to see. Everyone's been so welcoming, so kind, and I've really been enjoying my time here. Please let the folks that are with us know how they can access the Catholic Echo website. Sure. So it is catholicecho.org. And if you type that into your search bar on your browser, you should be able to find it. (laughs) Katie Wagner, editor-in-chief of the upcoming Catholic Echo and also associate director of communications for the Diocese of Youngstown. It's a pleasure having you on Wineskins. I look forward to your presence again, and God bless you in your work and also in your ministry. Thank you, Father Corda. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website www catholicecho.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Bishop Dave Bonner of the Diocese of Youngstown. At Easter, we recall the presence of the risen Lord among us. Over 2,000 years ago, he told his disciples, remember, I am with you always, even to the end of time. As we celebrate his resurrection, may his gifts of love and joy fill your hearts and homes this Easter season. May our thanks and celebration of his dying and rising Give us abundant life now and always. Church World Service believes that being self-reliant is a joy everyone should share. So around the block or around the world, share the joy. Our song today is from the CD entitled Glory in the Cross. It is by Dan Schutte. Oh, 
Our scripture reflections for this Easter Sunday Resurrection of the Lord will be done by Sister Mary McCormick. She is the Major Superior of the Ursuline Sisters of Youngstown. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. This is a refrain that Christians throughout the world will be repeating today and every day throughout the Easter season. The words, Christ is risen from the dead, come easily to the mouths of Christians. I think we sometimes take for granted what this means. When I first began teaching, I worked with hearing-impaired children on the weekends. At that point, our local school district did not allow sign language. So we communicated by writing things on the blackboard, using pictures, and the students learning to read lips. One of the things I learned in those days was that people with hearing impairments often miss nuance. Their language skills focus on concrete ideas. In any case, just before Easter, I was talking about the events of Holy Week, including Good Friday. We all know the story. Jesus died on the cross. I pointed to the crucifix in our classroom to emphasize his death. That Jesus was nailed to the cross and he hung there until he died. I talked about his burial in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. By the end of the class, I was certain that they knew that part of the Jesus story. Over the Easter break, the grandmother of one of the students in my class died. Like many of us, her parents used a euphemism for death when they told their children about the death of their grandmother. They said things like, Grandma is gone, or we lost Grandma today, and Grandma is now in heaven. When this girl went to the wake at the funeral home, she had a really difficult time. Grandma looked asleep, but her body was cold and she didn't wake up. Grandma wasn't gone. No one had lost her. The girl's parents had to explain all over again what it meant to die. That's always difficult for any parent. It's especially difficult with a hearing-impaired child. When we returned to class the next time, my lesson was on the resurrection of Jesus. I declared, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. This student protested. You told us that Jesus was dead. He died on the cross. Dead people do not come back to life. I had to agree. Dead people do not come back to life. At the same time, I kept repeating that Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead just as he promised. Most of that class, I kept trying to explain the resurrection. I often think back to that lesson. I sure hope my students learned something that day. But one of the things I learned was not to take the words, Jesus is risen, for granted. The resurrection of Jesus was not simply a resuscitation. Jesus died. He was really dead. Then he passed through death to a new life, an eternal life in heaven. He experienced a bodily resurrection. The gospel story we hear today and those we will hear throughout the Easter season show Jesus walking talking, and eating. No account of the post-resurrection stories of Jesus describes a ghost-like creature. 
They all recount a human person, perhaps a gardener, or a stranger walking on the road, or a man on the beach. They all describe a person alive. But the bodiliness of Jesus is not bound by time and space. He is there one minute and gone the next. It is Jesus who is present in the flesh, but most of the time, the people who encounter him do not recognize him at first. Jesus promises this same bodily resurrection to us. I have no idea what human bodiliness is like when it is not bound by time and space. Will I look like my 20-year-old self? Or will I look like an old person? Will my grandparents look like I remember them? Or will they look like they did when they were married? I have no idea. No one does. Our faith in the resurrection reminds us that we live in the hope of a bodily resurrection. During this Easter season, remind yourself to enter into the mystery of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Do not take these words for granted. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. For Wineskins, this is Sister Mary McCormick. The angel said, He is not here, for he is risen. He was victorious in death as in life, and he invites us all to share in his victory. Wineskins is made possible by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. Wineskins is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda, thanking you for being with us. Have a blessed Easter Sunday, and may God be with you. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought uh, I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife, and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.